then they would have lived in the garden in the presence of God forever. But they chose not to listen and but to question. And when God seeks them and asks them a question, they are ashamed and they hide. It's just like us as husbands, when we're caught in that moment, when we're not listening, and when we get this sense of shame and guilt because, well, we've been caught. In our text today, Jesus is challenging his disciples to set themselves apart from the crowd. Don't be tempted to put the Son of God on the docket or on the trial seat. Make sure you listen and be careful how you listen because there is danger if you don't. So what are some questions we want to we want to hope to answer out of this text today? Well, I think these two questions I, I hope we can answer in the big idea in the outline is this is how can we set apart ourselves from the crowd and away from the danger? And another question is, is how can we let God be the one to ask the questions? Because that's the key point here. How can we let God be the one to ask the questions? So the big idea for us this morning, I hope, answers those questions in our three points. And the big idea is this in one sentence, is that we need to listen and take seriously the preached words of Jesus. We need to listen and take seriously the preached words of Jesus. And the first point is this, is that we need to be sure... We listen. Be sure we listen. Verse 29 says, When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Now in our previous text, there were two groups of people in the crowd pushing against Jesus. There were those who said, Well, he cast out demons by Beelzebul, uh, the prince of demons. And in the previous text, Jesus deals with those particular people. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. These were the Pharisees and the lawyers. We catch this again in verse 53 of our text today. It says, as he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Up until now, Jesus has done a multitude of various miracles, and that's what they're asking for. Give us a sign. And at this point, Jesus must be thinking like, come on, dude, I have given the blind their sight, I've made the lame to walk, made the sick well, Raised people from the dead. Now that should have really been like a game changer there. Raising people from the dead. And fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. But what we have to keep in mind here is that their intent isn't to listen. 
Their intent isn't to take anything from Jesus, but their intent is to question, to put the Son of God on the docket, to trip him up and seek to prove that he cannot be the Son of God. He cannot be who he says he is. So you ask yourself, so how can, how can people continue to be so blind and ignorant after witnessing such great miracles at the hands of Jesus? I think we'd sometimes ask, how can people not know the good news of the cross? How can people not give themselves to something that promises eternal life and, and frees you from condemnation? Well, Jesus puts it plainly, this is an evil generation. It's a generation full of sin. It's a generation that has fallen from God's grace, fallen from God's garden, so to speak, as we talked about in the opening. And another interesting thing, he's putting the Pharisees in a category he was put in in the previous text. Friends, evil puts the fingers in the ears. Evil's intent is to discredit God. Evil puts God on the docket. It seeks for a sign. Not to believe, but to discredit and to prove wrong. If you're sitting here today and you're, and you're waiting and you have Jesus sitting on the docket, if you would just do one thing as I preach up here this morning, just be sure to listen and take seriously the words of Jesus. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. One sign. Not, not multitude of miracles, just one sign, the sign of Jonah. Now, to just sort of unpack this a little bit, we want to kind of just talk about Jonah and who he was and what he'd done a little bit. Jonah was called by God to go to the people of Nineveh and preach repentance that they might be saved from God's judgment. We know that Nineveh wasn't an ideal place. It was a place of evil, a place of prostitution, a place of murder, and the king was a warmonger who slaughtered people more than he conquered people. This was the place that Jonah was to go, and rightly so, Jonah, Jonah didn't want to go, right? He Instead, he boards a ship to Tarshish, which is probably the furthest away from where he was going in accordance to the map. So he's trying to get as far away from doing this as he can. And he spends three, ends up getting thrown overboard. And then he spends three days in the belly of a fish. And then after three days, the Lord resurrects him and the fish spits him out onto the shore of Nineveh. Now the sign here Jesus is pointing to is really the true heart of the gospel. In that sense that Jesus will die and be buried, and after the third day be risen. And this will be the only sign that will be given. Now we don't know if the Ninevites saw Jonah's resurrection, 
Scripture really doesn't tell us that. But we do know he went and preached to the Ninevites the message God had given them. And there's a good chance he would have told them about the resurrecting, about God resurrecting him from his death. So we ask ourselves a question, so what is the sign of Jonah that Jesus is talking about? How do we sum up this sign? Well, really, it's Jonah's preaching. It's Jonah's preaching, and because the main theme of Jonah really is the reluctant preacher. And here Jesus is saying, the sign you'll be given is the preaching of my death and resurrection. In a nutshell, the one sign is Jesus. Paul goes on in Acts 4.1.2, we read, uh, Paul enters and, and, and as they say, and as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. You see, the sign is the preaching of Jesus' death and resurrection. Again, in Acts 17, 1-3, we see Paul. And now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, and as was his custom, and on, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. So be sure to listen to the preached word that is the resurrected Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 1, 22-23, Paul says, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Jesus wants his disciples to understand and to discern that the preached word, the sign that they are to be sure to listen to, is Jesus' death and resurrection that will bring glory to God and forgiveness of sins for those who trust in that. So then we, so we, so then we ask the question, what's the importance of listening? We understand the concept and the context of what we need to be listening to. But what's important? What's the importance of listening? Well, Jesus uses two examples next. Notice that Jesus throws a curveball in there and he sandwiches a queen in the middle of the Jonah and Ninevite narrative. Verse 31 says, the, he, go, he goes to say, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Now who is this queen of the south? Well, this queen of the south is none other than the queen of Sheba. Now the queen of Sheba traveled a great distance uh, from her place up to to visit Solomon. Um, and, and from there, she brought multitudes of her wealth, like caravans of her wealth. 
traveled for days and days and days and days to go from where she lived up to Solomon so, so she can hear the wisdom of Solomon. So she could hear the preached word of Solomon. And the amazing thing about this story is that she is a Gentile. She wasn't a Jew. And so therefore it makes this story kind of unique because what it shows us is that that was the intent of Israel was to be the beacon of light and to be a proper beacon of light so others from other nations would come and want to know what that is and hear and turn themselves towards God. She is a, she is a symbol of that. And Jesus uses that story because even though the Jews were given all of the, all of the things that God gave them, they still wouldn't listen. But she does. She comes and she hears. Her intent was to come and listen. And when she heard the preaching of Solomon, she committed her life to God. And the only sign she needed was the preached word of God. Jesus says, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. If the preached word of Solomon can take the queen of an empire and turn her to God, what more could Jesus do for you? Something greater is here. She was sure to listen and will be raised on the day of judgment against this generation. But not only the queen of the south, but the Ninevites who heard and listened to the preaching of Jonah, they repented and turned to God and were saved from God's wrath. They were sure to listen and repented, and God was sure to forgive them for all their evil. And they too will be raised on the day of judgment and condemn this generation. The irony here is that the evil city of Nineveh, these Gentiles, will judge this evil generation. There's irony in that. And Jesus again says something greater than Jonah is here. If Jonah can preach the words of Christ to an evil people and turn them to repentance, what more? Can he do for you? Jesus says, I'm the sign. I'm the one scripture has been pointing to. I'm the one all your ritual laws have been signifying. I'm the one who will be crucified, buried for three days, and be risen to atone for your sins. Friends, if we are sure to listen, we will turn to God, we will repent. And God will forgive us our sins and be assured that we will be risen on the last day. If not, there's condemnation. That's why we are to listen. That's why we are to be sure to listen. Now, the second point we want to make is that we need to be careful how we listen. We need to be careful how we listen. So this point really comes from verse 35. In verse 35 we read, Be careful 
lest the light in you be darkness. And I'm going to read these verses, uh, and then we'll, then we'll unpack them a little bit. Uh, he says, No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. And when your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as, with a, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. You see, in verses 29 to 32, Jesus is pushing back on the Pharisees and lawyers who are looking for a sign. He wants his disciples to know the importance of listening to the external, physical preaching of his word. Now here in verses 33 to 36, Jesus is drawing attention to the importance of their in internal, personal intake of his words. And there's a caution in the, in, in the first verse is to keep the lamp on the stand. Meaning, keep my words, God's revelation in Scripture, out always, always present, always ready for the eye to see. The caution there is that we don't become numb to the gospel. should always have it visible, always present. Share this... Uh, I'll share this Kent Hughes story uh, with you. Um, tells the story of this little girl. He says, there's a little girl was sitting in her first Good Friday service. And the epic story of the crucifixion was beautifully read. She heard about Judas's betrayal of Jesus. She heard about Peter's denial. She listened to Pilate's cross-examination of Jesus. She pictured the crown of thorns and felt the beating of the soldiers. Then came the words, and there they crucified him. The little girl began to weep, buried her head in her mother's lap. Her sad voice could be heard throughout the auditorium as she sobbed. Why did they do it? Why did they do it? He goes on to say, Lifelong familiarity with the rhythms of the gospel can dull us to its trembling realities so that we listen to it with the same vitality with which we read the weather report. We need to be more like that little girl again. Friends, there is nothing but truth in we can read our Bibles every day, but if we're not infusing it into our hearts and letting it change our lives, then we might as well not read it at all. Jesus' instructions are to be careful how you listen. And if we fail to listen, then there's little hope for us. Then next, notice Jesus uses the likeness of a lamp to the eye. The eye is the lamp of the body. So again, we go from an external examination of God's word, the preached words of Jesus, to an, an internal examination of his preached words. Because I don't know about you, but I, I don't walk well in the dark. 
You know, when, at home, upstairs, we, we have a light in the bathroom that's kind of, we just leave on all the time. Because uh, upstairs, it's you kind of various things. If you have a basket of clothes here and there and you're doing stuff and at night, it's still there. I fall subject to tripping over the stuff. So I need something up there, a light to help me so I don't trip over anything. Jesus is trying to explain the same thing here. Keep the light, the lamp, your eye is the lamp. If you keep your eye fixed on my word, the light will be constantly lit. When your eye is healthy, when you're immersed in God's word, you're healthy. And light radiates from you. But as what went in, it is bad. Your body is full of darkness. If you're here today and you've been you've been part of the crowd seeking a sign, well just and just give me something, Jesus. That's what I'm asking for. And Jesus' invitation is this listen to my preached words, repent, and turn towards me, and by faith know that in my death and resurrection you will be forgiven and the promises of eternal life on the last day. Now, there's more to that. He wants us to listen and put my preached words within you that it would give you new life and keep you from darkness all your days. Friends, at the end of the day, we are all mere sinners trying to just not make Jesus sad. We stumble and we fall because we are subject to our sin, but we need to be workers of our own faith, constantly sowing our spiritual health, for there is danger for us. If we don't, Scripture helps us to keep the light lit within our bodies, helps us to keep our focus on Christ, a constant daily dose of God's Word, not just reading, but taking it in, allowing it to change your life, will keep you from stepping into the darkness, stumbling over something, being caught by something else. Friends, keep the light lit. The third point, or final point, is this. We need to see the danger of not listening. We need to see the danger of not listening. And Luke says, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. And the Pharisees was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup. And of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give us alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Again, the Pharisees' intent wasn't to listen better, but to put the Son of God on the docket once again. The easiest test is to invite him to dine with them and see if he washes. The Pharisee was astonished that he did not wash. Does anyone really wash before dinner anymore? Is that a thing? Like, do we say, hey, before we eat, do you go wash up for dinner? Um, I know we're not an agricultural-based community anymore, so we're not out working with our hands. and you know, Probably hands don't get too dirty if you're typing on a computer all day and all that stuff. 
but the question is, is, uh, is do we wash, is it something, there it was normal because, I mean, your hands were dirty. Um, and so it was required, not just for, not just for ritual, but for, uh, for cleanliness as well. Um, and if they were astonished at this, um, and so if so, this isn't past, you know, it's not an excuse to, to pass on not washing your hands, right? Because Jesus didn't wash his hands, so kids, be mindful of that. Um, this is more of a ritual washing. This was part of many other extra laws that made up what we'd call the Mishnah, right? And here's what the Mishnah says about washing, and this, is, this fascinated me, uh, of, of what, what sort of the rule was when they washed their hands before how they cleansed their hands. It says this, the hands are susceptible to unclean, uncleanness, and they are rendered clean by the pouring over them of water up to the wrist. Thus, if a man had poured the first water up to the wrist and the second water beyond the wrist, and the water flowed back to the hand, the hand becomes clean. But if he poured both first water and the second beyond the wrist, and the water flowed back to the hand, well, the hand remains unclean. Now, if he poured the first water over the one hand alone, and then bethought himself and poured the second water over the one hand, his one hand alone is clean. Now, if he poured the water over the one hand and rubbed it on his head or on the wall to dry it, it remains clean. So I'm not making this up. This is what this is how they, they this is how it worked. You know? Rub your belly, pat your head, all that stuff. That's what it seems like. But that was their rules. That was the rules they based everything on. And as we as we read through the woes, we will catch Jesus calls them in, calls them out on this. Outwardly, their rituals portrayed them as generous and holy, but inwardly. They were full of greed and wickedness. Their freshly washed hands contradicted their unwashed hearts. But Jesus offers grace and instruction here. He says, but give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. That is, give away your greed and your wickedness. Get rid of your sin and everything will be clean for you, the outside and the inside. What comes next is the danger of not listening. There's two sides of God's word, blessings and woes. In the, ver in the verse right before our text, verse 28, Jesus responds to the woman, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That sums up what we've been talking about, right? Those who hear the word, be sure to listen. And when you listen, be careful you keep it. But for those who do not listen, woe to you. There's two things in Scripture you don't want to hear. You don't want to hear woe, woe, woe to you. Or also in the Old Testament, therefore, 
But here, Jesus goes on to reveal to the Pharisees their follies. Verse 42, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Now, not to take anything away from the Pharisees, he's saying, look, you, you tithe more than money. You tithe even your herbs in your, in your household. You take a tenth of everything of all that in your household and you bring it and you tithe it. That's, that's great. But the problem is, is that you neglect justice and the love of God because you won't give that which you tithe to help others. You do it for that outward appearance of holiness that others would see. Goes on to say, Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. The best seat at the synagogue or the ones up front. If I was if I was speaking in the synagogue, I'd be set at the center center seat, and then there'd be seats on each side of me. That's the seats they they saw every time. And they faced the congregation. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. Jesus means here is that when one would walk across an unmarked grave, he would be unclean. Therefore, he would have to do requirements to become clean. Again, when he's telling the Pharisees that you guys, when people come across you, they become unclean because of your unholiness. You are like unmarked graves because people walk them without knowing it. They can't go around it because they don't know about it. And so now they're subject to, again, false teaching, listening to the wrong thing. In verse 45, one of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult, you insult us also. Catch the arrogance of this generation to put God again on the trial seat. What they're really saying is, how dare you put me on trial? I'm not the one on trial here. You are. And he goes on to say, woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. They're the ones who wrote the washing, all the rules for the washing of the hands, all the rules for the Sabbath, everything. They held everyone to the standard, but at times they did not hold themselves to the standard. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets when your fathers killed, so you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and you blind their tombs, and, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and prosecute. Not only did their fathers kill the prophets, they, they aided in building temples on top of them, trying to glorify them, and at the same time, killing them. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. 
You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were hindering. They took away the key of knowledge. They transposed the script, God's Scripture into something that benefits them and makes them, presents them as the ones who were holy and above everyone else. That's why Jesus was a threat. That's why they chose not to listen. That's why they chose to put God on the trial seat. Friends, I leave you with this. If we are sure to listen and hear the preached words of Jesus, if we trust in his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of all our sins, and if we are careful how we listen, receiving all his words into our hearts and allowing it to change our lives, what better testimony and light to those around us and to those within our community. Friends, if we want to invite people into Grace Church, it's not about how we dress up the outside, what programs we have or outreach we look to do. It's not about how well we present ourselves. Those come in their own time. Let's start by making sure our inside is healthy and full of light. Having no part dark, holy and bright, just like the Queen of the South who traveled thousands of miles to listen to the preached words of Solomon or the preached words of God, why wouldn't the people in our community travel 5, 10, or 15 blocks to hear for themselves the preached words of God? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Father, I'm thankful for your care for your word. Father, a lot of times we don't care about your word. We don't care enough for your word. But Father, I'm thankful that you are the master and architect of your word. Father, I pray that these words I preach would infuse into the heart's of all of us, that we would take these words, that we'd take your word home with us today, that we would meditate on them, that we would infuse them into our hearts, that it would change our lives. I pray that we would be the light in our community. Lord, that our community would see something that's different and then seek that which is different. Pray you do that work, Lord. Pray that you would guide us in the seeking of your word, that we would listen, that we would be careful how we listen. Lord, I pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So again, since we don't have an ordained pastor, we exercise that we don't 
partake of the Lord's Supper. Um, but what we will do uh, is we will recite the Apostles' Creed.